and to just throw it out there as that initial report, yeah, that's what it's done for. It's that, you know, someone wanted to hear that they got the most historic contract of all time. And there's no real context given to, to anything that happened with that contract. And, you know, you, you kind of cut through to see what the real meaning of it is, how long the, the team is actually committed to that player, what's the impact going to be over a certain amount of time. And sometimes you come away with a totally different viewpoint um, of the deal versus whatever that quick number was that got thrown out there uh, the minute that he agreed to the contract. Welcome to the Unexpected Points Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Cole. Today I have one of my favorite people in the NFL media analyst sphere with me today. It's Jason Fitzgerald from Over the Cap. Honestly, I agree with this guy a little bit too much. It almost makes me uncomfortable how much I feel like we're on the same level of things. And what's interesting about that is, of course, is he's not a quote-unquote analytics person he's not you know a programmer who's getting into these things I think he's just someone who is thoughtful and intentional about how he goes about things and that aligns with how I think about things so we have a wide-ranging interview going about free agency trading the quarterback position how teams should be looking at that his jets how they should be doing things over the offseason and a little bit of a window into NFL media and how information is processed in that regard. I'm taking the plunge here. I'm making this the first interview podcast that is going to be a paid subscriber podcast if you want to get the entire thing. A couple of different ways I'm going to mitigate the pain here for any of us who are listening to this as a free subscriber. Number one, it's going to be a healthy portion that is still free, but if you want to get the entire thing, you're going to have to pay for it on podcast. And number two, I have an Unexpected Points YouTube channel, and the entire video will be posted there. And of course, that will be free of charge. Check it out. It will be linked to in the show notes when you're listening to this. I appreciate all the support I've been getting on the Substack. It's um, exceeded my expectations, I would even say, as far as the support is concerned there. But you know, during the summer, things are going to be a little bit lean. It's not NFL season and uh, getting some compensation for the effort I put into this pod will be much appreciated for those who love it. Um, if you want to contact Jason, he mentions at the end of the pod at Jason underscore OTC. Always go to over the cap. Never go to any other salary cap website out there. And with all that for the intro, let's get right to it. This is Jason Fitzgerald from OTC. All right, welcome to the pod, Jason Fitzgerald. I believe this is your second appearance on the podcast. I'm a huge fan of the OTC podcast, and a lot of people come to me sometimes and they say, wow, Kevin, I'm impressed by the fact that you can go 45 minutes, an hour, maybe an hour and 15 minutes all by yourself doing a solo podcast, and it doesn't seem like a big deal. I mean, you're, you're you're lapping the field in that category. I, I I'd say you're probably averaging about two hours and fifteen minutes on recent podcasts. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't get to do them every week, so I get like a backlog of questions that come in, and uh, as long as I got a couple of beers to get through the night, that uh, usually can kind of keep me going. And uh, yeah, it, it's done with it. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I did one that was about two hours and forty five minutes. I couldn't believe the amount of time. I said, "Wow!" I said, "That's uh, that's pretty important." 
that's pretty impressive. Uh, but I was able to kind of uh, get through that one. But yeah, you know, the, the when I just do them every couple of weeks and I kind of get off on a topic and then I always will do a Q&A session. And this time of year, you get so many questions that come in. Uh, I don't try to filter down on questions. I'll just take everybody's questions. So it just goes sometimes on and on and on and on. Uh, so if people actually make it to the end, uh, I'm usually pretty amazed. Uh, but, you know, more power to them for listening in. Yeah, I mean, I make it to the end most of the time, but it's not its not even just a Q&A. I feel like you can go just off of any particular topical thing that may be, may be going on for a while here. So we'll, I'll try not to keep you too long. I'll try to wrangle that in a little bit if need be. But I have to say, it's very cogent, all the analysis and everything else. So I enjoy it quite a bit. Everyone, everyone should be checking that out. Now, we're going to talk free agency here. We're going to talk Jets a bit. Um, who won't necessarily be the biggest players in free agency, but we have the trade stuff that's going on here. They're bringing in either an actual first ballot Hall of Famer or a theoretical first ballot Hall of Famer in, uh, in, in Derek Carr, as, as we've been hearing about. Um, but we'll, we'll get to all that. Don't worry. Don't worry, Jets fans. We'll, we'll get to all that. There's, there's some hope in the air, maybe, um, although probably pessimism always overwhelms hope when it comes to being a Jets fan. Uh, but let's talk about, you know, th- this period of NFL media generally, like trying to sift through signal and noise for what's going on with these different teams. What what do you take away from the media reports that we hear about whether player X will be franchise tags, wh- whether they'll be resigned, what team's plans may be? Do you rely more upon what you think teams should be doing versus what the media thinks they're doing? How do you sift through all this? Yeah, I, I usually just kind of go by my own opinions on it. Um, a lot of the media stuff is very driven by, you know, somebody feeding you information. And usually that information is being fed for a reason, whether it's, you know, something about a price of a player and you'll hear some outrageous figures like Daniel Jones is worth $45 million a year. To me, that's outrageous. Like that that wouldn't make any sense for the Giants, but that kind of stuff is out there. You know, I remember a couple of years ago, people were pushing Mike Glennon was going to be you know, like a $25 million a year quarterback. And he ended up signing for 15, but that's a big difference between that and 25. Uh, same thing kind of comes with the franchise tags. You know, you, you'll hear stuff about certain players. It's like, oh, well, he's a franchise tag candidate. And unless it's a position that doesn't cost a lot of money, like being you know, a tight end, um, you know, tight ends don't cost a lot in free agency. Uh, I'm sorry, in uh, on the franchise tag. So I can understand why somebody would do that with a player, but you know, when you have just like an average guard or something like that, they're not going to get franchise tag that left tackle money. Um, you know, you have certain types of linebackers. They're not going to get franchise tag that a price that it'd be for a pass rusher. So when that, that kind of stuff goes out there, um, you just kind of take it as, okay, they're, they're just, somebody's saying something for someone, um, you know, or they're just not giving it much thought and they're just kind of putting it out there just to put something out. So, I think this time of year, that's basically what you do is you just kind of listen to it, assume most of it is just noise, and then uh, kind of go from there. Now, I mean, I guess it's my assumption over time seeing how the insiders report things that it seems to me that the overwhelming majority of information that they're getting is from agents. Would you say that that's the case? I'd say it's 99% of the information. And you can tell, I mean, you can tell when you see, so, you know, you've got a couple of really big reporters, um, you know, that break most of the news, you know, Schefter, Rappaport, uh, Tom Pelissero, you know, a couple of guys from, a couple of the other people from NFL Network. um, They'll put out a tweet 
it will have the same exact obscure statistic about the player. It'll have something about the money they're making. It'll have something about the uh, some something that they've done in like the last couple of years. And it's like, trust me, they're not researching that. They, they wouldn't know. Like it would take me a while to figure some of those things out. It's not like they're just going to pull it out of their head. And like, oh yeah. You know, he's made the most money for running back in the last three years or two years, whatever it was with Aaron Jones, that that was a cherry picked number that was there. That's where all that stuff kind of comes from. Uh, all the stuff with, you know, you're having discussions and, you know, you're trying to come to an agreement and the money is sounding kind of good or whatever it is. A lot of that stuff is just all all coming from an agent and they're going to try to skew things, um, you know, to sound as best as possible for the person that they're representing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've, I think people have gotten a lot smarter about reporting contracts and guarantees and things like that. It's not just maybe as much copy and paste. It's not just as much focus on, you know, APY and things like that. But that's, I think that's still a majority of the case, I guess. Cool. I guess it's, you know, agents are doing PR to their clients and their clients are, are not going to necessarily be the most educated on these sorts of things. So when well, they see I'm making the most money in the league at a certain position, they're going to feel better about that. Even if the underlying structure of the contract is not as great. Yeah, that, that's exactly what it is. I mean, if you go back to the uh, Tyreek Hill examples from last year and it was reported right away, you know, first $30 million a year receiver. And then when the numbers come in, it's not even ballpark 30 million a year. It's still a great contract. You know, don't, don't get me wrong. It's still a huge contract, biggest contract ever. I think for a wide receiver, you know, averages, depending on how you want to look at it, 25 or 24 million a year, but the $30 million number, which we put online as well, because on a piece of paper, that's what it claims to be. Um, you know, it, it's not really the real thing. And to just throw it out there as that initial report, you know, that's what it's done for. It's that, you know, someone wanted to hear that they got the most historic contract of all time and there's no real context given to to anything that happened with that contract. But that's all you're looking for is you're looking for that engagement for 24 hours. And that 24 hour engagement is getting that number out there, whatever, however big it might be, however many incentives might be floated in that number, um, whatever way you want to spin it, you dominate the news cycle for 24 hours. And that's all you need. Everyone is happy then. And uh, I think that's a big reason why they get you know reported that way. And then if you want to get more into it, usually if, when we find out the numbers, we'll do a little bit more analysis on it, whether it's on a podcast, an article, and, you know, you, you kind of cut through to see what the real meaning of it is, how long the, the team is actually committed to that player, what's the impact going to be over a certain amount of time. And sometimes you come away with a totally different viewpoint um, of the deal versus whatever that quick number was that got thrown out there uh, the minute that he agreed to the contract. Now, I know that I, I, at PFF, I think it's Arjun Menon and maybe some other people have been looking at trying to craft a metric for determining the value of a contract based upon all these different factors. It gets a little it's not it's not the most intuitive thing to think about, though, versus, you know, average per year or guaranteed amount. So wh which ones would you be looking at the most? Is it? you know, what you could reasonably expect the player to earn under most scenarios? Like, what what is the, how, how would you want to structure as far as looking at these contracts? Yeah, typically I, I'd just be doing some type of scenario analysis. Um, you know, there's two ways to look at it. You know, if you're looking at it just from a general team perspective, um, you know, you're looking historically at comparable players, how long they lasted on prior contracts. You know, if somebody lasted three years on a five-year contract, probably means they weren't even good in year three. So that tells you that, you know, most of those players only give a, be good for at the most two years. And, you know, you probably want to, you know, look at it that way in terms of how long the player is actually going to be on that contract. 
you want to look at things like uh, the dead money in the deal, the vesting dates in the contract. You want to look sometimes at the teams that they're on. You know, there are teams that chase those sunk costs much more than others. You know, the Cincinnati Bengals, they don't put any guarantees in their contracts. They don't cut players. And part of the reason for that is they look at it like, okay, we just paid this guy $15 million this past year in the first year of his contract. We're going to keep him even if he's always hurt. You know, if he's only making five, well, we already sunk 15 into him. So we're going to keep him for that five million. Um, so, you know, that that's one of those things that you, you probably can't put in, you know, any kind of analysis. Um, you know, it's almost like a soft factor. And that that's something that can change over time, too. You know, general manager to general manager, uh, team switch ownership, that, that obviously can change a lot of things when it comes to the budget. But it, you really just want to look at that structure of the deal. Um, you, you want to look when the guarantees kick in, what the dead money costs would be um, for those players to, you know, kind of get booted from the team, um, you know, and I, I guess to some extent as well, you know, you, you're going to look at the team's salary cap situation or the team's, um, you know, wh- where they, they kind of stand right now. Like you saw the Titans today release, I think it was four players, you know, last year, they probably should have released a lot of players similar to that. They didn't do it. Um, you know, but they're in a completely different place this year. So e- even if those players were still somewhat productive, they would just be casualties just simply because the, the team has no need for players like that anymore because they're, they're going to go into rebuilding phase. Now, I, I want to talk about like team's willingness to take dead money a bit, because if we're talking about big trends in the NFL, which I think have changed quite a bit, I mean, I guess you could point to the Carson Wentz trade and at that point in time being the largest dead money that the Eagles were willing to absorb when they let him go to the Colts. But even before that, I remember, and now looking back, uh, a lot of extenuating circumstances when it came to Antonio Brown. But I remember when there was this thought that Antonio Brown could be traded or released or something like that. I thought it was an impossibility because teams normally in the past just did not take dead cap like this. They were not as willing to, um, eat that sort of money, even if it was a sunk cost fallacy sort of move. But now we're hearing, you know, should teams cut Russell Wilson? Should the the Packers trade Aaron Rodgers? All these things where teams are taking major, major amounts of dead cap. Do you think in any way we've gone past maybe what is really reasonable for teams to do? Or do you think this is really just aligning with what teams should have been thinking about the entire time? I, I think for some of the teams, it probably aligns with what they should have done. Um, but I, I think some of the changes that you're seeing now is because there's no, no salary cap minimum spending requirements anymore. And there used to be stuff like that in the past because there, there's nothing like that anymore. You do have teams that just decide, okay, you know what, if we're going to have to punt on a season, let's just punt on a season and let's just get rid of these contracts, take it all at once rather than have it be like a slow drip. That's going to kill us for the next three, four, five years. Kind of like what you've seen in Atlanta for a while, what you're seeing in new Orleans right now, you know, just be like Chicago this past year, just, you know, just get rid of it. Um, so I, I think that's one of the big factors that kind of plays into it um, right now. Uh, you know, I, I think there's some, some other things that go into it as well. Uh, I think teams just, it becomes a, it becomes worse um, from your, uh, I don't know, kind of like your PR perspectives to uh, have mm-hmm. some of these players clogging up your, uh, your cap. You know, that, that's one of the things with Antonio Brown. It, it was a nightmare for the Raiders to have him on the roster. It was a nightmare for the Patriots to have him on the roster. It's like a nightmare for the Buccaneers to have him on the roster, the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, it just gets to the point where you can't deal with it anymore. You know, Odell Beckham, uh, you know, it, it just became too much for the teams to deal with. 
so you just say, all right, you know, let, let's just let's just move on from those guys. The other thing that you have happen now, too, is you have a lot of movement in front offices and the type of front office movement didn't exist a decade ago. You know, you, you did have these general managers that had a very long time to, you know, rebuild the team and, uh, you know, sit there and go through all these different different possibilities that they could have. Nowadays, you know, general manager gets a couple of years, so everything is going to be short focused. And when you take over a team, you basically end up getting rid of all the all the players that were, you know, kind of there before because you, you you don't see how they're going to fit in your system. You just don't see a benefit for them, and uh, you know, you just say, "All right, well, I'll, I'll just eat the dead money." It's not it's not my problem. You know, I'll, I'll take seventy million dollars of dead money this year. Nobody's going to care that I did this because it's all it's all falling on the the prior general manager and whatever he did. And I'm also wondering about ownership as far as how that changes things a bit. Um, for me, I'm starting to wonder if the league is really going to get into, you know, it's not going to be like uh, international soccer where you have a few teams at the top who have these vast financial resources because they can spend over a particular cap. But we are starting to get in a situation here where you have, let's look at the new owners who have come into the NFL, right? We have David Tepper, who is, I don't know, eight, $9 billion, whatever, whatever he is worth. Now you have, um, now you have the whole or of the ownership group with Rob Walton and everyone who is in Denver, who is worth, you know, $40 billion. I mean, it's only going to be those types of people who are coming in versus the, you know, the Mike Browns of the world and uh, the Rooney family and others that are there here. Um, even Jeff Lurie, when we're talking about someone who's relatively new and fairly wealthy and the Eagles who was taking that dead money there. I wonder how much that is also a part of this puzzle where those teams are just going to have more flexibility to do different things because the owner is not going to be as worried about recouping uh, signing bonus money and other things that go into feeding into the dead money. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and you, you can look at that when you look at spending trends for certain teams. You know, you, you will see there are certain teams every year um, that are very high spenders. You know, Philadelphia, for example, you know, they're they're always near the top. You'll have some other teams that jump in for a year and then you don't you know see them again. And then you have some other teams that, you know, basically have those older style family ownerships and they have the lower payrolls. You know, the Chiefs are a team that has a lower payroll, um, despite the fact they're very successful. You know, they, they basically have one of the, the lower payrolls. And so I, I do think with these other teams, as long as the general managers can navigate the cap consequences of it, um, you know, I, I think, you know, if they want to win, uh, you know, probably like the way Jerry Jones was when he first took on the Cowboys, it's almost like you, your thought is you're just going to outspend the rest of the league. Whether that's successful or not, that, that's a totally different story. But I, I think there's going to be there, there already are certain owners that are like that. Um, but I, I do think as some of these new ownership groups come in and because of the amount of money that they're paying for these teams probably want to win, um, <laughs> I, would, I would imagine they, they'd be pouring a lot of money into it because I, I don't you know, I, I have a feeling that uh, buying the NFL teams, a lot of it's, you know, it's a vanity project. It's a lot of fun, um, you know, to own the team. I'm sure if I ever had that kind of money to own a football team. For as much as I'll complain about the guys that meddle, I'd be doing the same thing. I, I'd, I'd put on my general manager hat and I'd, I'd be right out there with them. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that they, they'll be doing that, you know, that uh, it'll be one of those, you know, money is no object. Just don't worry about it. Make the numbers work and you can bring in whoever you want to bring in. And you will have some other teams in there that probably can't compete with that or, 
you know, just choose not to, you know, they, they just say, you know, we're happy spending right around what the salary cap is each year and just kind of, you know, pegging our budget to that and that's it. And we'll let these other teams go 20, 30% over and let's see if we can compete with them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's maybe talk about the different avenues here. I mean, the, the draft is the draft. We'll have, you know, mock draft ad nauseum going on be, before that's happening. But as of now, basically, we can talk about extensions. We can talk about very soon unrestricted free agents. You know, we have other um, franchise tag and other things that, that have opened up at this point. Uh, maybe we can talk about a little bit, maybe even on a position by position basis. I'm trying to think of how to structure this, but maybe we'll start at quarterback because there's a lot of intrigue this offseason where we've had some trades in the past. I mean, we had Russell Wilson going a year ago. We had Stafford going the year before that. Stafford was one of those situations where you thought it might happen, but it was still a little bit of a surprise when it did happen. This time, there's a lot of talk, and it's not only about Aaron Rodgers, uh, who's a potential trade candidate, but then we have a number of uh, free agents who are out there right now, and then guys like you know, Geno Smith, who may be franchise tagged or something like that. What do you think about generally the free agent slash, you know, released player market? If we're talking about Derek Carr and even the trade market, which has become somewhat of a thing where it wouldn't have been in the past for the quarterback position. Do you think it's changed at all? Um, thoughts about team building around that position? I, I don't think that the the thought process has changed. I just think, uh, what's happening now is certain teams where, where you look at the Wilson trade and you look at the, the lions trading away Stafford. I think it's more that you have the teams that typically would have said, okay, we're never getting rid of these players. I think they reach a point where they just go, okay, we're not going to win with them or they're looking for too much money. If we want to keep them, I think that was probably more the case in Seattle um, with Wilson, you know, and I think they make those decisions to trade them. Whereas a generation ago, I don't think you would have done that. You know, that that's when you saw all the teams would be extending, you know, the Tony Romos of the world, um, you know, the Matt Schaub types, uh, maybe even a Matt Castle, you know, th those kind of players, um, you know, you'd constantly be chasing and chasing and chasing with them uh, kind of still in there. And I, I think now those teams are willing to punt on those players. And so I think teams see value in trading in for a player you're not going to find a quarterback in free agency. I mean, that that's just a given. So if you're not in a position to get one in the draft, you're probably better off. Hey everybody, this was guys, a free version but, uh, of a paid subscriber podcast at unexpectedpoints.substack.com. If you want access to the rest of the Q&A here, including all of my premium work here, we're talking about four or five articles a week and this weekly wrap-up podcast, please Sign up at unexpectedpoints.substack.com. And if you cannot afford a subscription at this point, let me know. Either shoot me an email at unexpectedpts at gmail.com. Send me a note or leave a comment on the Substack or hit me up on Twitter at Kevin Cole, triple underscore. Let me know that you're experiencing some you know, financial hardship at this point. I will give you a no questions asked six-month subscription to the pod. You can get these premium podcasts and all of my other premium content. Thank you so much for listening and more content coming your way next week.